0: Good afternoon everyone. I hope you're all doing great. Um that was very funny. Just just as the video is about to stop, uh my dog started snoring. So <laughs> he's got he's got timing. He's got timing down. Uh it's so lovely to see you all and hey Emma, uh, lovely to see you. And uh Adam, I'll answer your question later. Lots of comments coming in already amazing amazing it's so good to see you all uh, thank you all for being here today and uh as always pop in the chat box uh where you're watching from i think uh you know i know of some australians americans canadians uh people from the uk so i, I know about those but i'd love to find out where exactly you are so uh do say hello uh today our guest is april dumford uh april is the author of Obviously Awesome and the founder of Ambient Strategy. Um, Now, quite often when you get marketing speakers along, one of the things that people will feed back to me every so often is that you know that they can speak a good game. But sometimes there's not always the evidence of them uh, operating in the trenches, not with April. Now, April started out uh, studying engineering, but her first job was actually in marketing. Uh, since then, she's gone on to launch at least 16 different products into the market. And uh, in these companies, she's held senior positions uh, in, in almost all of them. Uh, today, she offers her knowledge to uh, incredible tech companies around the world and, and companies in general. But not least, the one, one of our favorites is uh, Redgate Software, who sponsor and have played an important part in the marketing meetup story. It was in fact, those guys who, uh, who gave us access to their server for our first ever event. So, you know, they're an incredible company. and We're really grateful for them. I actually first came into contact with April uh, at a workshop that she did last year, I think it was, um, with my former employer, uh, Business of Software. Um, and on that day, I left the room with two revelations. The first was that most people don't have a blooming clue about their positioning. It was amazing. It was really, really interesting to sit around there. But the second thing was I was sat there as someone, as a marketer who sort of thought, yeah, you know what? I know about positioning. But you know what? I walked away with a whole bunch of stuff that I needed to address there and then uh, if I wanted the marketing meetup to thrive. Um, Hopefully by the end of this talk and this session today, you'll feel the same. I have no doubt you will, because April is blooming amazing. Um, Today's session will run as both a presentation and then have a Q&A feature. Um, So you can actually get your questions in throughout the course. And actually as an observation, what I found is the earlier you get your question in, it seems to be those ones which are then thumbs up uh, in in the question and answer section as the ones which people sort of like recognize first. So if you would like your question answered, I'd recommend getting it in nice and early. You do that by finding the Q&A feature down below. Um, I can see that there's 78 chat messages already, um, and 250 people in the room, which is amazing, and going up. Um, The one thing I'd encourage you to do on the chat feature is just make sure that you switch it to all panelists and attendees. Uh, That means that everyone can see your comments, and you can sort of chat between you as the session goes on. Um, I've really, really loved seeing how people have done that these past few weeks, so uh, do take the opportunity to do that. Uh, finally, before I pass over to April, I just want to thank the sponsors, every one of whom have been unbelievable. And I don't know about you guys, but like when I'm sat here, you know, particularly in the UK, we just had all these new rules announced and stuff like that. Then it almost feels like this, this resurgence of everything that started six months ago. And it's in these moments that I'm reminded how important that the sponsors were and how supportive they have been throughout. So you've already had a message from me today uh, outlining who those sponsors are, and you will have one in the follow-up. Every week I just make one request, and that is that you take two minutes to uh, message the people linked in that email and just say thank you. It's as simple as that, but it goes such a long way. There's 255 people on the call now. If we were doing that, if 255 people got on touch with them, we would be sponsored for the rest of time because they knew that the Marketing Meetup is driving so much for them. So please do take the time. I just wanna thank ContentCal, Fiverr, Redgate, Cambridge Martin College, Lidu, Brand, Further, Third Light, Pitch and Human. Uh, So please do take the time. So uh, that is me done. That is the the, uh, not so famous Glover introduction done. Uh, So April, thank you so much for being here today and uh, it's over to you.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, it's so good to be here and thanks everybody for coming. Um, should I just jump right into it?
0: Absolutely, by all means.
1: Okay, I'm gonna share my screen with folks. Um, and uh, can you can you all just, can you give me a thumbs up if you see it? Okay, good. Um, All right. So I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to plow through this and then we'll do questions at the end. So if you have a question, put it in the Q and A and we'll get to it then. But um, uh, so I'm April, my expertise is really around positioning. Um, uh, But what I wanted to talk about today is specifically about positioning and how it's possible to position not just you but your competition as well and so I'm going to talk a bit about how that works. So the first thing to understand is that your products do not exist in a vacuum like our offerings exist within the context of other alternative ways to do whatever it is that your product does Um, and one way to think about it is that we actually have kind of different types of competitors at different phases or stages in a customer's buying journey. And so I wanna kind of break it down that way. Like you can think about it this way, like, you know in particularly if we're a business and we're buying software, the first thing we gotta do is kind of narrow down a short list. Uh, we have to kind of look at all the other things out there and pick what should I actually pay attention to. Then once I have a short list, I got to select something. And in that process of selecting, uh, there's usually a big company in the mix there somewhere. Um, And then lastly, once I do make a decision to go, I got to make a decision to stop doing the thing that I was doing before. So I actually have to switch. And each of these, you have different kinds of competitors at the beginning. I'm trying to beat the hordes. Like it's just everybody else that's in my space that looks just like what I look like. Um, And then when I'm narrowing it down, there's usually someone big and that's the giant. And I got to worry about that. And then the last one where I got to switch is, uh, this is the status quo, which we we often don't even see that as a competitor. I call it the ghost. So I'm gonna talk about each of these and how you position. So first we've got the hordes. our markets are crowded. Everybody's market is crowded. Um, in fact, uh, people talk about how crowded markets are, but I don't think we feel it in our gut. So this is an example of just one tiny corner of the software universe, just the solutions for um, marketing problems. But it's then there's 7,000 companies in there. Imagine you're a Buyer. You're trying to make sense of this thing. And you might think, oh yeah, that's just marketing tech, April. That's really crowded. And it's like, nah, sales tech is crowded too. Here's data and AI. Um, I met a guy at a conference once and he said, well, we're really specialized. Like what we do is drone technology. And I was like, hmm, maybe it's not that crowded in drone tech. No, nope, no, nope, it's crowded in drone, drone tech too. I found a chart for you too. Um, so how do you actually stand out like how do you make sure people understand what you do versus everybody else um, and the first way i think you do that is y- y- you gotta actually just fight fights you can win so um is a famous quote from warren buffett that he's like how do you beat bobby fisher you play him at any game but chess interestingly we are often unintentionally trying to play chess against Bobby Fischer. So we are often uh, unintentionally positioning our products in such a way that we're literally positioned in a game we can't win. So uh, I'm gonna give you two examples. So the first one's really stupid, it has nothing to do with tech. um, And the other one does have something to do with tech, but the the first one is kind of illustrative and I'm just gonna do that as an example, bear with me. So here's how it goes. Uh, Let's say I'm not in tech. I'm actually a baker and I woke up in the morning and I'm like, cake is my thing. That's my thing, cake. And I woke up this morning and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna innovate the hell out of chocolate cake. That's what I'm gonna do. And what I really wanna do is I wanna make cake that isn't like dessert, it's more like a snack. And I'd like to make it portable so I can eat chocolate cake in one hand, drink my coffee in the other. And I, you know, I innovate, I experiment. I come up with this thing and it's here on the right-hand side of the chart. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but this is my innovative cake thing. And so it's genius. I give it to customers and customers are loving it. And I decide I'm going to go call the gal at Starbucks that's in charge of distribution of like snacky things. And I'm going to call her and say, and, and sell her on my cake innovation. So I call up the gal at Starbucks and I'm like, Hey, Starbucks lady, I got this amazing, innovative cake. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's innovative cake. And here's how I did it. I took cake and I thought, what if we took cake and we just made a tiny morsel. And so I got a little tiny morsel of cake and then I decided, but I wanted to make it portable. So what I did was I give it kind of a handle. It's not really a handle. It's more like a stick. So I took the cake and I stuck it on the stick and I put some sprinkles on it and stuff. And what I have is this revolutionary new cake on a stick. It's Fantastic. It's cake 2.0. It's it's an innovation and a miracle in cake. And what's the Starbucks gal thing? She's like, nope, nope, no, it ain't. No, it ain't. That's actually cake doing things cake wasn't supposed to do. That's Franken cake. That's what that is. And and why does she think that? It's because you position it as cake. So what wins in a cake contest? the cake cake in the land. And how do I evaluate cake? I, I, I want a big slice of cake, bigger, the better. I want frosting and I want thick frosting. And I don't want it to be all over the look. What are those sprinkles doing there? Like, look at everything that makes your product special. It's the ball and the stick and the sprinkles and that crazy pink, like all of that stuff has no business being with cake. Like everything that makes you cool is fundamentally not cake. But the first thing you did was just evaluate me like cake, would you? And that's basically your position in a way where your thing is never, ever going to win. You're going to lose. That thing's a loser in a cake contest. Now, what if I position it a different way? So what if I position it in a different game? What if I called the gal at Starbucks and I said, hey, Starbucks lady, I got this idea. And you know what it is? It's actually a lollipop, but it's not for kids. It's for grownups at the coffee shop. So I made it out of cake. That's different. That's totally different. I have totally different expectations for that thing. I don't expect it to have all kinds of frosting. There's no frosting on a lollipop. Of course, it's got a stick. Of course, it's got a ball. It's a lollipop. That's what we know about it. And If I'm in a contest for lollipops at the coffee shop for grownups, that thing's a winner. So the point of this is I can position a product in a market category that really changes the way people think about it. And so your best category to position in takes everything that's special about you, your offering, and puts it right at the center. So forget about cake, now we're gonna talk about tech. So I got this company, um, they're here in Canada, I'm in Toronto, they're they're up the road, Kitchener-Waterloo and uh founded by two guys mechatronics engineers and they're they're robot guys and they start this company making robots specifically they make this robot that drives around a manufacturing plant and it delivers things from one place to another now you might not think that's a hard problem to solve but in fact that thing is a modern miracle of artificial intelligence and and mapping and sensors and and so it doesn't run over people and it goes where it needs to go and all that stuff um, so they 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 launch this thing. They're going to sell it to manufacturing plants. Uh, so they they get meetings with the head of the manufacturing plant that buys robots, and they walk in and they say, "Hello, uh, we're Clearpath Robotics, and we're here to sell you some fancy new robots." And the minute they say "robot," the buyers are like, "Ah, uh, robots." We got robots, man. We've been buying robots for decades. It, like we, you know what we have? We have approved robot vendors, and you are not one of them. We know what robots cost. Your stuff looks kind of expensive for robots. I don't know. And 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 how does the how does ClearPass respond? They're like, no, 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 no. We're special robots. Special, special robots, robots like you've never seen before. Uh, and what's the problem, right? In the mind of the buyer, they're thinking about this thing, you know, picks up a roll of tape and puts it in a cardboard box. So the ClearPath guys go back and they say, what's special about us? What's unique about us? What's our ball on a stick here? So, and, and it's mobility, it's, it's, it's mapping, it's sensors, it's artificial intelligence. What drives around and is full of mapping and sensors and artificial intelligence? And, and what they realize is maybe what we've built is a self-driving car, or in their case, autonomous vehicles for industrial uses. Now, if I position it that way, well, of course it drives around. That's what autonomous cars do. Of course, it's full of mapping and sensors and artificial technology. Of course, it costs more than that thing on the left. Of course, I wouldn't expect my vendor of that thing on the left that picks up a roll of tape and puts it in a cardboard box. It's nothing like that. What I love about this example too is I love the way they followed through on the positioning with everything all the way down to the industrial design. So you can see that the vehicle itself has these white headlights and red, brake lights which in fact do absolutely nothing they're there strictly to drive home this positioning of this thing is an autonomous vehicle um so how do we do this like how do we find our best market position um uh i i define positioning this way it is highly misunderstood positioning and figuring out your best position is not intuitively obvious i define positioning like this positioning defines how your product is is the best in the world at delivering some kind of value that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. Now that's a mouthful. And the reason it's a mouthful is because positioning is actually comprised of five component pieces. I can break it down this way. I have, what are my competitive alternatives? So what are the alternative ways of doing what I do What's unique about me? So what are my unique features? What have I got the alternatives don't have? And then there's value, which is so what for customers? I got these neat features, but why does a customer actually care? This is the thing I'm the best in the world at. Next thing is who cares? Like you're not the best in the world for everybody. You're in the best in the world for certain people. So what's your customer segmentation? Who is it you're trying to sell to? And then lastly, market category. My best market category takes my value and puts it in context so that my best fit customers Mm -hmm. understand what it's all about. Now, how you actually do this is you need to work through these five components in a very particular order. It starts with competitive alternatives. Now, when I say competitive alternatives, I don't mean competitors, <laughs> which sometimes we have straight competitors, people we compete with directly in a market. But a lot of times the competitive alternatives are, are not other, it's not other software, like particularly if we're selling software to businesses. Most frequently we're competing with Excel spreadsheets and interns. If we get this wrong, then everything downstream is wrong. So if I'm positioned against some other software and I say, yeah, you know, you should use my software because my software is way easier to use than that stuff. But then in the minds of customers, what you're really competing against with is the intern, it's going to be hard to be easier to use than the intern. The intern's pretty easy to use. You're like, Joey, fill out the spreadsheet. So, so you need to understand the starting point and then say, okay, what really is the difference between me, like why should you stop using Excel spreadsheet to use me, right? Why should you stop doing, you know, doing this in kind of a half-assed way with your accounting package versus using me? Once you understand that, then you can say, this is what makes me different. I can take those features, map them to value. Here's why you care. Once I have that value, then I can say, well, who cares about that value? That's my customer segmentation. Once I have that, I can say, how do I contextualize this product? So this this value is obvious to these folks. Positioning is like a giant topic in itself. And that's not the only thing I want to cover today. So if you want to go deep down the rat hole of how to do positioning, I wrote a book. You could buy it for like seven bucks or something and go nuts. Um, Moving on. So you're trying to beat the hordes. So the first thing is I got to play a game I can win. So I need to be positioned in a way that people understand this is why, this is where you should choose me. Here's the second thing. How you beat the hordes is you can teach the hordes. You can teach customers how to buy. And this is kind of an interesting concept. Like when you think about it, most of the things that we sell, the buyers that are buying our thing have actually never bought a product like that before. Like I worked in a company where we sold customer relationship management software, people buying CRM never, the buyers have never bought CRM before. You don't change it all that often. So either they go to buy it and they're like, how do we actually make a short list? I don't even know what features are important and what features aren't important and how do I make a short list? So what do they do? Well, they go look at charts like this. Is this helpful? Does this help me narrow down a short list? Well, hell no. It's actually the opposite of that. So uh, that that's not helpful. Even if I said, you know what I'm really looking for? I'm looking for sales enablement software. So I just look in the little box that says sales enablement. Well, you know, it's a little bit better. It's not 8,000 things anymore, but it's still terrifying. There's I can't look at all these things. There's too many of them. So that's, that's not helping me out. Maybe I go Googling around and I end up at G2 Crowd or Software Advice or one of these comparison sites. And I mean, this is maybe a little bit better, but holy cow, like, like, first of all, I've got these grids and it says market presence and satisfaction and everybody's over here on satisfaction. So all these guys are doing a good job making customers happy. Market presence. Do I actually care about that? Sometimes I do, you just give me the top one. Give me, but, but a lot of times the top one's too expensive. Top one's for great big companies. I'm a little wee small company. Top one's not for me. How do I even figure that out from looking at this? I don't know. The worst part about these sites is they'll say, oh, there isn't just a grid for sales enablement. There's 19 grids that relate to sales enablement. So I actually have to look around 15 different grids. These things were designed to confuse customers. They actually make money on customer confusion. The more you click around, the more leads they have to sell. So is this helpful? No. And if you, as a vendor, how comfortable do you feel about having these folks own how you define a market? What if you don't think you are sales enablement and you're stuck here in the grid with everybody else and you're like, I don't even compete with these people and now I'm on the grid here. So this isn't helping. So. Who knows a lot about how customers should evaluate products? You do. You do. Vendors do. You spend all day thinking about this. You spend all day looking at all the other competitors. You built your product as an alternative to the other competitors because you thought they were stupid and your thing was better. And you know, the world needed a better CRM, it needed a better email, it needed a better whatever for these sets of reasons. So we don't like to give our opinion on this. Like we don't like to go out and say, you know what, you shouldn't buy them because of this and you should buy me because of this. But here's what's crazy. We don't give that opinion because well, we're biased who would believe us. But the reality is you're admittedly very biased, but honest opinion on how, on how a market gets split up can actually be hugely helpful to prospects. Now, the trick here is you gotta be honest about it. So here's an example. Let's say I'm a vendor in this sales enablement space and I'm like, you know what? These things don't even belong in the same box. They're all different. I know this because I'm a vendor in this space. I could communicate my point of view to customers like this. So here's an example. This was made by a company in the sales enablement space. They're called Level Jump Software. They created this nice little thing and they're like, you know what's confusing? Sales tech is really confusing. So we're gonna make it easy for you. Here we go. We have sales intelligence. Sales intelligence is like, I know who likes the donuts. And then I have sales engagement platforms. I manage how often I call, email, and email people about the donuts, conversational intelligence. I see if I'm talking too much about donuts. And for each one, they list three, not a 1,000, three. Here's the top three in each space. And then by the way, they're level jump. They're down here in sales readiness slash enablement. I train to become the master of donuts. If that's what you want, then here's three companies you should look at. By the way, I'm one of them. Now they're they're happy to do this and they name their competitors because they know they got something on their competitors. And if this is what you want, we're actually a better solution for you. Um, here's another way of looking at it. I might be confused. I looked at that sales enablement box and there's 9,000 vendors on there. And I'm like, well, wait, doesn't that mean you compete with, so if I'm level jump, people will say, does not that mean you compete with Leslie? And you're like, no, no, Lessonly is corporate learning and we're sales enablement. That's totally different. And they're like, so are you complementary? How do they fit together? So they drew this other map of like, it's like the map of the shopping mall and there's the floors of the shopping mall. And down here at the bottom, we've got sales engagement and that's how that's works. And then you might wanna layer on corporate learning. Corporate learning is a completely different thing. That's where Lessonly and all those guys fit. Salesforce has, some, has an offering in here. And then to complement that, you have the upper floor, which of course is the best, called sales enablement. And in there, we've got what we would call content management systems. And then we have sales readiness. Those are very different. We don't actually compete with Seismic or HighSpot. We compete with MindTickle or LearnCore. So if you what you really want is sales readiness, you wanna go over here. Now, if I'm HighSpot, do I actually position myself as a content management system? No, I don't think so. <laughs> would Highspot agree with this point of view? Probably not. Maybe not. Um, But so this is inherently biased. But what I did give you was a rubric and say, and it's honest, right? This is my honest opinion that all those things are in fact CMSs. They wouldn't probably position them exactly that way, but they are in fact CMSs and we're something different. So communicating that helps customers think about, huh, am I really that worried about content management or do I want this other thing? It gives me a way to think about the market. So that's how you separate yourself out from the hordes. Position deliberately, give people a a way to think about the market and teach them how to buy. Second thing, I got the giant. The giant is like, the big guy in your market. And no matter what happens, you're up against a big person. Like it's usually not, the competitor is usually not direct in your space. Sometimes you do have one. Sometimes it's like a thing in space that isn't meant To do this but people are making it work like I shouldn't really do all my whatever using my accounting system but I can because they got a thing that kind of does it and the thing about the big one is it seems safe it seems easy I already got it half the time and so here's what's interesting you can position those guys too you can position them too And what's cool about positioning the big guys is you can actually take their strengths and then kind of jujitsu it around and use it against them. So um, everything that a big company says that is a reason you should buy them, inside that is a reason not to buy them. So the big company says, We're proven, we're proven that we have so many, we've been doing this for 20 years, man. We've been doing this for 20 years. And you know what that is? That's legacy shit. (laughs) That's like, that's the old stuff. Really? You want that? Do you think there's anything new and innovative in that stuff that's been around for 20 years? They say they're market leading you're like general purpose it's unspecialized it everybody uses their stuff you don't want the thing that everyone uses you have special needs and here here's what i got for you uh they talk about being feature rich i used to work at ibm and uh and at ibm you know we'd have a drop down list with literally nine thousand things on the list and we'd say look at all those features little startups would come in and compete against us and say do you need all that stuff look at how hard that is look at how complex that is it's super hard to use yeah lots of features but do you need them trusted by many slow to innovate here's an example there's some um, in the um, ed tech space uh, one of the leaders in the edtech tech space is a great canadian company called d2l uh, and they're awesome but at one point they had these little startup coming in behind them and d2l is this very mature platform lots and lots of features do all kinds of stuff like it, it's really incredible and these little guys come up and they got nothing they got they got hardly any features it hardly does anything but they do this great job of coming in and saying you know what we are like a sleek little volkswagen beetle everything's just what it means not too much extra stuff super easy to use it's cute it's new it's modern it's now and you know that d2l stuff it's like your dad's state station wagon with a bunch of crap hanging off it and they used to actually put this picture in their sales decks of like all this stuff hanging off a station wagon and the visual of that was like do you want that like yeah they got more stuff but do you want that like look at what comes with having all that extra stuff. Um, here's the second one, uh, it, it, how do you beat the big guys is, and again, we're scared to do this in markets. Cause I think we got to go in there and, and sell like heck and say, oh, we're great for everybody. We're great for everybody. We're ignoring all the competitors. And it's just not credible if you're small, right? You've got, there's big company in your space. And it's not credible to say you're going to win everywhere. So what you do is you actually just let the big guys have the rest of the market but you never let them have your patch. So you say, yeah, yeah, they're great. We love those guys, not here. So an example of this, I worked at a company where we were in the CRM space and enterprise CRM. And this was years ago. And at the, Salesforce was in the market at the time, but they were only selling to the small end. And so they only sold to small medium businesses, but the king of enterprise CRM at the time was this company called Siebel. Our big thing was though, we were only for investment banks and we were so we were this dinky little startup, 25 people, a couple million revenue and Siebel was publicly traded, 2 billion revenue, 9,000 employees, like amazing. And so, but when we went in to pitch to investment banks we would deliberately position them as like the general purpose thing. So we'd come in and we'd say, hey, we're a CRM for investment banks. And investment bankers would be like, yeah, that CR, yeah, CRM, isn't that what Siebel does? And we'd be like, oh, pfft, Siebel, we love them. What an amazing company, so big, so much revenue. They're just fantastic. They're probably the world's most amazing general purpose CRM for like call centers in India and manufacturing plants and stuff. Not you, Wolf of Wall Street, you need something special. And then we had a set of special features that they couldn't do that were just for investment bankers. And so we had this great proof points around it. So we'd say, uh, you know, this is what we do. And what we did was we could effectively use their strength against them to say, look, yeah, they're general, they are number one, general purpose, absolutely everywhere, not here. Um, so that's one way to do it. Uh, so the last one um, is is, you know, I get through all of this i managed to position myself against the hordes i managed to beat the big guy in my space um and then i get the last one which is the ghost and what sucks about the ghost is you can't use most of the time you can't even see it so what the ghost is is status quo so the stats on this are super depressing so um it, it, there's there's some some research by CSO Insights that talks about, uh, they looked at enterprise software in particular, and they looked at enterprise software and said, what is the percentage of deals that are lost to no decision? That means the deal came in, it got qualified, we worked through a sales process, we got all the way down to the last mile, and they said, nah, we're good. 20%. Now, I don't know about you, but like I worked at some really big companies where, to be honest, it was more like 30 percent. But OK, 20 percent is still a very big number. If you were losing 20 percent of your deals to a particular competitor, you would say that's fearsome competition. Uh, that's what this is. Um, here's another set of stats that I thought were super interesting and and backs up this idea that customers have a hard time buying so Richardson selling challenges survey, they do it every year, and this is the 2019 version. And so again, they looked at enterprise software sellers and they asked them like, what are the, what do you, what are the top three challenges for your buyers through the buy process? And number one was building a case for change, neck and neck with comparing our options, which is. We don't know how to make a short list. We don't know how to narrow it down. So, and once we do, we got to build the case for change so we can actually switch. And then the, the 19% said the status quo. That's the same thing as building a case for change. It's like, so basically everyone's out there saying we don't know how to buy. And then when we actually do get down to a short list and try to pick stuff, we can't actually get the, get the organization to pull the trigger and actually go. So what do we do about that? this is an interesting one. And I think particularly relevant right now when, you know, when you're in times of great change. Um, one of the ways you, you do this is you align with your buyer's priorities. So you make sure you get really, really tightly aligned to that. Um, here's an example. So I actually sit on the board of this startup. So they're close to my heart. Um, so the company's called Sampler and what they do is digital product sampling. So if you remember pre-COVID, um, If a a consumer packaged goods company was launching a new product like a new cereal, new granola bar, uh, there'd be these people on the street corner handing out samples or they'd be in the grocery store handing out samples. Uh, This is a billions and billions and billions of dollar market for consumer packaged goods. What Sampler does is a way to do that in a digital manner, which gives you way better intelligence about who took the sample, what happened to the sample after, did they actually buy some stuff? Part of their thing though, is the way they do this is they match people to samples and then they send them the sample to their house. So COVID hits, all of a sudden, sampling has been completely wiped out. (laughs) And most of these big CPG brands are like, oh, Lord, how do we do sampling now? We can't exactly have somebody standing on the street corner in a hazmat suit saying, take my granola bar, please. Uh, We can't do it in the grocery store anymore, the immediate end to that. And so all of a sudden, uh, all of the the immediate reaction of the industry was, we're just not going to do sampling at all anymore. And so samplers stepped up and essentially positioned themselves as contactless sampling. So, and so they started writing about it. They're in the news. They're talking about stuff. They're like, you know, future beauty testing, say goodbye to in-store sampling. We're not going in to put lipstick on our lips from the tester anymore, are we? Um, And so this contactless product sampling is now a must-have for brands. Blah, blah, blah. This resulted in a massive uptick in inbound inquiries from big CPG brands looking to figure out a way to do contactless sampling. Um, and in the middle of a pandemic, these guys actually did manage to raise around the financing as well, which is pretty cool. Um, that's it. Uh, In summary, I got three kind of competitors. I got the hordes. You need to position deliberately to beat them. I got the giant. I can turn their strengths into a weakness. That works pretty good. And then I got the ghost. What I got to do there is align with my company's with the company's priorities to make sure that what I'm doing is a priority. Here's my email. You can follow me on Twitter, whatever. I'm going to stop sharing and we're going to go to questions. (laughs)
0: That's it. Get me on my toes, there, April. You were right at the end there, and you were like, "We're stopping." (laughs) That's it. Done. We
1: need Um, time for questions.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you very much, April. And and first of all, like you should have seen the comments from folks. I think you've done both the cake and the donut market some favors.
1: I just did this talk as a version of this talk with this group in Australia and the entire chat stream was I'm so hungry I need donuts <laughs> why are we getting donuts and then they actually had the, the, then they were like why, why is this a virtual conference you know if this was a real conference we'd go out at the break and eat donuts
0: <laughs> well they obviously need sampler to be sending stuff to their homes. yeah
1: sampler should be sending there you are cake pops to everybody
0: look at that um, so folks, we've got time for Q&A. There's already 16 questions open. Uh, please do take the time to uh, use the thumbs up feature in the Q&A so I can ask the questions that you are answering the most. Um, so I'm gonna take the first one uh, from, in fact, my, my good friend Baz, uh, Baz from Bravo Marketing, who, uh, yeah, one of the most creative, wonderful human beings I know. Uh, in any case, he says, uh, and, and it's no doubt a problem that you solved before, April. it says, "How do you position? How do you position positioning to the board, who may perceive positioning as another bit of fluff from the crayon department?"
1: <laughs> yeah. So here's so here's the thing. Like, it, positioning really is. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it's business strategy dressed up as a marketing thing. So if you think about it, if I'm gonna shift my positioning from, uh, you know, we're not robots, we're autonomous vehicles, or, you know, we're not email, we're chat, like the marketing department doesn't actually own that. The marketing department can drive it. The marketing department can recognize that there's a problem and then drive an effort to fix it. But it is ultimately the CEO's decision. And so when it gets to the board, it's not the marketing department that's going to be pitching that to the board. It's the CEO. So if you, if you take my, uh, the, the example I used of uh, the, the little CRM for investment bankers that, that was competing with Siebel, we originally positioned ourselves as enterprise CRM. And then we repositioned ourselves as CRM for investment bankers. And I'm telling you, board did not like that at all. But they didn't like it because they didn't like that as a business strategy. And it was the CEO fighting it out with the board to make that happen. So in my opinion, as a marketer, you can recognize that there's potential weakness in the positioning. You can essentially drive an exercise, which like my book is basically an attempt to to have a methodology that you would use internally to drive that exercise to get to good positioning but then the ceo needs to take it to the board not you like like or else or else you know you're on the risk that it is actually just some fluff from the crayon department
0: (laughs) now that makes so much sense that that's really interesting as well because um it, it struck me that you know maybe as an example of this then as a positioning exercise, then you gave the example of the the not robots, you know, and, and we are driverless cars, but that wasn't just a, a repositioning exercise. You gave the example of the headlights and the brake lights as well, which fed into the product. It touches everything. So,
1: so, so it touches everything if you think about it, like, you know, most of the repositioning that I've done, um, you know, we started with a shift in the story. But that shift in the story changed the roadmap going forward. It changed the pricing model quite often. Sometimes it changed the the entire routes to market. Like, you know, the pricing went way up and then we needed to sell it direct with salespeople, whereas before we could sell it um, zero touch off the website. So, you know, when you do a positioning exercise, you need to make sure you've got representation there from product, sales, customer success, marketing, and the CEO Come together and work through the exercise so that we're all bought in so that we all understand how is that positioning actually going to get represented through each of the individual departments
0: mm-hmm. that's amazing that's, that 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 in itself is is an amazing bit of insight so thank you for sharing that because I, I think that'll make a big difference as to how pe- people approach this now uh so next question you you covered this quite early on so uh, you feel free to skip through, but, uh, it was asked and people have thumbs it up. So I'll ask it, uh, it says, how do you position your software against something that is currently done manually? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and this is very frequent. So, uh, so if things are done manually, like, so again, the, for some reason, even when we're competing against things that are done manually, we don't necessarily just come right out and say, look, Here's the problem you're trying to solve. Here's what happens when you do it manually. And here's why that sucks. And you know what we actually need? We need a way to solve this problem that lets us do this, 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 this. Right?
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: And a spreadsheet can't do it. <laughs> Instead, we're out there saying, We gotta do this. Here's all my features, feature, 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 feature. And they're kind of like. Yeah, but I get that done with my spreadsheet, right? Instead, what we need to say is, look, what you're actually trying to accomplish is this. When you do it manually, yeah, there's pros to doing that. It's easy, it's fast, it's cheap, it's free. Uh, But here's the cons, right? Like when you scale, you can't do this. It's like position against the intern often looks like this, where you're like, okay, you hire an intern to do it. And that's great, cheap, fast, easy, right? Good, intern's good until the intern makes a mistake, right? Until the intern quits on you, until the you, know, you now got triple the number of things to do. And then what, you're just gonna keep hiring new interns. Now I got triple the mistakes. I got triple the things that don't happen. And what if you could save a customer profile, then what additional value could you offer to your customers? The intern doesn't save nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the, intern the intern doesn't, the intern is just, you know, in the thing. And so you got to kind of wake customers up to, you know, you're doing it this way. And we're not saying it's terrible, it's been working for you up until now. But here's the opportunity cost of doing it this way. And potentially, you know, in the future, if you keep doing it this way, bad stuff happens. And so now might be a good time to think about, you know, all the extra value you could get if you stop doing it that way.
0: Yeah, I love that. The
1: other thing that's key is to really focus in on if you're selling against status quo that's manual process. Not everybody is feeling the strain of the manual process yet. Right. So some people the manual process is just fine. And so what are the characteristics of a company that when you say manual process starting to get you down they go Oh yeah, right. So, who are those folks? And can you sub-segment the market and just focus your marketing and sales efforts on the piece of the market that really feels the pain right now? And then once you get all them up, then you can start moving to the folks that are a little bit, don't feel the pain quite as much. But by then you'll have all these reference customers, you'll have all this momentum and you'll be able to say, look, these people are doing this and getting these results. You should look at this too.
0: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I, I love that know it was the point that you made in the talk but it goes back down to the honesty thing and i love how simple you can make that communication it's a recognition of a problem but then it's it's speaking about it in very human terms as well you know so yeah and i'm
1: and i'm not like the key to this is i'm not saying it's i'm not saying what you're doing is dumb i'm saying what you're doing is absolutely logical right like i got this problem what's the logical thing to do i'll use some free stuff to fix it i don't have to Super, I don't have to kill the fly with a hammer here. I'm going to start with the fly's water. Like, that's fine. But, but, you know, if the fly is really big and scary, <laughs> maybe you need a hammer. And <laughs> so that's, that's going kind to, of, that's the thing. It's just like, it's like, look, here's the problem. Here's how you're doing it today. And here's why that kind of sucks. And so, you know what? A perfect world, we'd be, we, you know, we'd have this without this. We could do this without this, right? That's why you need software
0: i love that i love that okay um so on on the the first example you gave with the the cake and and the cake pops um you initially you spoke about selection of category and i, I know that uh so folks april has done this very sort of tactfully throughout the course of 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 the presentation but i'd like to say that I've got a hard copy and I've got an audible copy of her book. So you should absolutely go and get it because it's the best read that I've had on positioning. And she specifically wrote it out to uh, give you the tactics. So she didn't ask me to do that, but like she, she, that's why she did what she did. Uh, Hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth by saying that. Um, But
1: it's exactly it. Like I got so frustrated with everybody that talked about positioning to me at the early stages of my career as this kind of like, so it was like magic. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happened. You know, we just know what it is. And I'm like, no, like my, nothing in my life works like that. Like I need a process step one, step two, step three, step four, where's that? And nobody had that. And that really bugged me. And so eventually I came up with my own that I use when I was a VP marketing inside companies. And now I'm a consultant and I teach people that, and I work one-on-one with companies and we work through the Methodology, but the book is basically that it's exactly the methodology written down. This is how I
0: do it Nice. Well, I can see that there's five messages already from people who send that they've been downloading it over the course of this talk So, uh,
1: oh good. Um, Let me know what you think
0: yeah. <laughs> um, But there, there was a question on, on the category element of it, which is um, How do you go about selecting your category? So it's quite a tactical element of it, but mm. that, that switch in thought process it's quite difficult for a founder or, or yeah. starting out with a product to go. I'm building this, and then someone goes, "No, you're not. You're not building cake. You're building a better lollipop." You know how do you go about discovering that sort of stuff?
1: Right. So again, this is why I think you need a structured process. Like it doesn't just come out of thin air. Mm. It, it comes out of a structured process. So, you know, and what? So the beginning of that process is being able to let go of your baggage a little bit and say, yeah, I know we always thought of ourselves as email, but we've been doing this for 20 years and maybe we're chat, maybe we're team collaboration, maybe we're something else. And so first you gotta kind of be able to let go of your baggage a little bit, but then you don't get to just let it go and just pick some other random thing or make something up. It needs to be grounded in what's working for you in the market right now? Like if you look at the market right now and say, um, you know what? Our competitive alternatives half the time aren't email. (laughs) And if you went and talked to customers and said, you know what, if we didn't exist, what would you be doing? And they're talking about stuff in a completely different category from you. Maybe you're in the wrong category maybe you're in the wrong category. So you need to start with that. Who do you actually compete with out in the market? If you didn't exist, what would customers do? And then you say, okay, well, if that's what I'm really competing with, then here's the here are the differentiated features I've got which translates to this value for customers. And if this is the value we deliver and these are the kind of customers that we're delivering it to, what's the best way to contextualize what we do? Maybe it, our stuff makes more sense if I call it team collaboration than it does if I call it email because we don't actually have a calendar and we don't actually do spam filtering and we don't actually like, in the same way that, you know, the self-driving car guys, they're like, robots don't do any of the thing we're doing. And yet we keep calling ourselves a robot and then trying to undo that robot positioning almost immediately. So maybe what we need to do is start from a place where all our strengths are in the middle and then fill out the rest.
0: Nice. No, that makes perfect sense. And there's actually a, a point there, which is one of the top questions here. So I'll bring that in now, which is, um, does it change over time? And presumably the answer is yes. And if so, yeah. how would you stand out as a business during this pandemic? Or have you seen some trends that have sort of come into play over the past six months or so?
1: Yeah, so, so it, it doesn't stand over time. And the reason it doesn't, it, you know, the reason it, it changes is there can be lots of things that that require a change of positioning. So sometimes it, your product itself has changed. So you add features, you take them away, you know, and that sort of results in a, ch- in a change um, in, in, you know, what your differentiated features are. So your value is different. So you might need to go back and reassess your positioning. Um, sometimes you've got a change in the market itself, right? Big pandemic happens, all of a sudden, you know, what we see in, in big market downturns is um, some customers will adjust their priorities from, you know, we were in a growth mode and now we're in cash preservation mode. And so if your positioning was all around, this is how we're going to help you make money, uh, pandemic hits, big market crash hits, economic downturn hits. And all of a sudden, you may want to actually retool that to be like, here's how you're going to conserve money. Here's how you're going to save money. So, you know, your market can change, your competitive landscape can change, your product itself can change. And, you know, and all those things could precipitate um, a change in positioning. Hey, I wanted to answer this one I see at the top that's like services versus products. Can I do that one?
0: Of course you can, of course
1: you can. So, because uh, so, I get that question a lot. Um, and so here's, and, and you know what, it says what a customer gets based on their unique needs instead of a, instead of a product. Uh, so that, you're, you're kind of getting at it there, what the difference is. But here's the thing. I've used the exact same positioning process that I outlined in my book, for a handful of services companies. I mainly do product companies, but I have done it with a bunch of services companies. Here's where it's tricky. You, this idea of unique features or capabilities in a services business, you know, there's this thinking like our capabilities can be anything, whatever the customer wants, we'll do whatever the customer wants. Mm -hmm. But you don't. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't, you don't. You have things that you do better than the competition. And those are the only things that count. So when we get to this idea of unique features, you've got capabilities. It's either, you know, we've done projects that look exactly like this. So we have experience with this. We don't have experience with that. We have folks that are certified around these things. We're really good at this. We're really good at the intersection between this, this, this. Yes, you can do anything because all you have to do is hire some folks, but you're not gonna get picked for anything. You're not. Because you don't win everywhere. So the trick in that positioning is to say, in our good fit customers, if I look at the customers I've got right now, the ones where I win and they're happy and they love our stuff, what do I got that they don't have? And I got to be honest about this and say, could I actually prove that? Like we say we're really good at this, but are we? Are we? Or would we have to go and hire a bunch of people to do whatever, whatever? We're actually not going to win a deal for that. So that piece is the trickiest piece, is getting super honest on what are your actual unique capabilities from your competitors, and then what's the value of that? And who cares about that value? That's the trick. I
0: love that. I hope there's just a bunch of people that come out of this like writing the most honest. Statements and sticking it on their homepage, you know, and and, and uh, you know, I could. Really... Well, the,
1: the services businesses are the worst, right? Like you're running a big law firm, and you're like, why pick my law firm versus anyone else? And usually, the answer is relationships. Yeah, because you know, <laughs> we love our customers. It's like, what? You don't think the other lawyers say that? They all say that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So this is this is the next question from Jo, actually. So she asks, uh, any tips for positioning where the difference between your branding and competitors are minimal, e.g. Uh, my cheese brand may be only a tiny bit tangier than the next one, as an example.
1: Yeah, so so it's funny how many companies come to me and they'll say, it's a thousand, thousand folks in our market. We're all exactly the same. And what we're going to have to do is like cook up some big imaginary story because what we do like feature function-wise are all the same. And I fundamentally don't believe that. I just don't and here's why and this comes from my experience in selling a lot of really crappy software from really immature little startups here's the thing look at how crowded your market is it's so crowded so crowded it is a miracle that anyone picks your software it's it's literally a miracle there are a thousand reasons not to pick your software literally a thousand reasons And yet you have happy customers and yet people bought your stuff and they don't turn on you and they give you a high NPS rating. Mm -hmm. And so the companies that I work with, they come in and they say that, but then when we get right down to it, they got loads of differentiators to just not thinking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And half the time it's because they're actually comparing themselves to companies that they don't actually compete with. And so you say, okay, customer number one, why'd they pick you? Oh, well, they picked is they, they, they really like this thing and this thing and this thing. And they're like, but it's not unique. These other people do it too. And I'm like, yeah, but they cost three times what you cost. They, your customers didn't even look at them. Yeah, you're right. Or, you know, like, or, you know, you're listing some little company. That's like three guys in a basement in Silicon Valley. Nobody's heard of. You could make hundreds of millions of revenue and never see them in a deal. So you really gotta understand who do I actually compete with? Cause this is how customers are looking at it. And, and then what do I have that's differentiating from that? And if you're super honest about who the competitors are, like, again, there's so many reasons to not pick you. If you have customers and those customers are happy, I guarantee you, you have differentiators and you have enough to position around because they're picking you now. Now, <laughs> if you don't have customers and, you, and they're not happy, then yeah, maybe you've got a product problem and I can't solve that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have customers and they're happy, then you're winning deals in the market right now. You're winning those deals for a reason. So what is that reason? How do I put that at the center of my positioning? And how do I run out and get lots and lots and lots of customers that look just like that? Amazing. I love it.
0: So... Yeah, there's, there's been a few comments here. Uh, Tricia, as, as an example, who says, I love April, straight talk, straight talking, and no fluff. So, <laughs> <laughs> but some...
1: engineer, that's, that's my engineering tendencies.
0: <laughs>
1: X plus Y equals Z, <laughs> just keep it straight.
0: <laughs> Absolutely works. Um, April, is four o'clock, and like. I, I it's feel...
1: eleven o'clock. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. know we're at the end.
0: Yeah, I'm getting to say that because there's there's a bunch of questions. So what I've done, folks, is I've uh, I have copy and pasted them all, and I'll send them across to April. So whether whether you uh, answer them directly through blog posts or whatever, you've now got LinkedIn content for the rest of your life. I think so. Uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> for the rest of my life.
0: Great. <laughs> um, but April thank you so much for taking the time with us all today you know it's uh, it's, it's been really amazing and, and I hope you get a second to digest the uh, the chat as well because uh I don't
1: because I'm actually late for the next meeting already but <laughs> okay. you know I take your word for
0: it <laughs> that's, that's my prompt I'll send it through so okay. uh, thank you April and thank you everyone that's been here please don't forget to thank the sponsors uh, and next Tuesday our session is with the Louis uh, brilliant Louis Grenier. Um, it's going to be fab. April's late for a meeting, so I'm going to let her go. <laughs> uh, thank you all. Take care and have a lovely, lovely day. Thank
1: you. Sorry we didn't get to all the questions, but we tried hard.
0: We tried. Take care.
1: Thanks for coming. Bye. Thanks for having me.